Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, member Commodity 101 shares his overarching career mantra. We cover how he broke into a bulge bracket trading desk in energy and natural gas, why he jumped to a physical trading commodity shop after two years, his pivot to a $40 billion alternative investment fund, and why he then spent three years at a nonprofit in the certification space. Where he is now and what's in store next. Enjoy. Commodity 101, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Thanks for having me, Patrick. It would be great if uh, you could give the listeners just a quick summary of your background. Sure. So my background is essentially across different energy commodity markets, crude oil, natural gas, uh, NGLs, natural gas liquids, uh, power, coal, emissions, LNG, renewables, you name it, um, as well coming from a physical and financial background, um, experience at both large uh, bulge bracket uh, commodities shops, as well as a, sort of a top three physical trading shop, uh, as well as a very large investment management firm, more on the financial side for multi-asset alternative investments, um, and, and now most recently with a um, geospatial sort of satellite radar technology company uh, named Ursa that were sort of um, leveraging a lot of cutting-edge technology for, for sort of macroeconomic and, and sort of micro oil and gas insights on a global basis uh, that were traditionally pretty opaque in these markets, but now uh, given the technological advances, we're, we're kind of changing the game a bit here. So uh, rewinding, sounds like you have a lot of experience uh, going back to university. Kind of what did you know this is kind of what you're interested in doing more of the kind of going after the trading type side of things or kind of how did you fall into that? Or so I joined, um, I joined the very you know, top bulge bracket commodities, um, commodity shop right after uh, undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I went to a small business school, uh, undergrad business focused, uh, double major in economics finance with sort of a global business background and a psychology minor. Uh, psychology minor in particular, fun little anecdote, I, I wouldn't diminish there because just understanding people's motivations and how they think, what drives them has actually been quite powerful in, in this industry, in this business. So mm. uh, just a little sidebar there. <laughs> okay. um, but I, I actually didn't find commodities. Commodities found me. Um, I, I joined, you know, a general analyst program. And once training was done, you know, particular business unit picks you. And um, I was the only one from our analyst class to be chosen by the commodities business unit. And uh, the rest is history. <laughs> Nine years later, uh, you know, I've, I've haven't looked back. It's a really, really interesting market. 
incredible volatility keeps it uh, very interesting. There's never a dull day, honestly. And with all the macro geopolitics, you name it, uh, that are constantly, you know, keeping everyone on their toes. Uh, it, it's definitely a very interesting business to be in. Can you tell me a little bit about when you kind of when you were kind of interviewing for those positions at the Bullish Bracket Bank? Um, was it, it sounds like it was more generalist pool was, did you go through the typical like summer analyst program? And then at the end of the summer, they kind of, the commodities group kind of said, Hey, we want you to join or how did that work? No, I hadn't done an internship with them. This mm-hmm. was, um, you know, full-time positions, uh, that we were interviewing for as a senior in undergrad. And, um, was that pretty rare to get that? The... I mean, is that pretty rare to get, <clears throat> not have the internship and then, I mean, at least nowadays I think it is, but back then was it? I'd say probably yes. This was, you know, 2010, um, Mm -hmm. coming after the recession. It wasn't the easiest thing to do, but uh, I think between sort of my the well-rounded experience from the sort of the double major from between economics, finance, and coming from a global perspective, had tried to position myself well between internships. I'd done five of them in in undergrad and studied abroad twice between London and Australia. Um, Done various different internships once. at the Cannes Film Festival, actually, in, in France, uh, oh, cool. learning sort of the business side of filmmaking. You had in an interesting story. Fi- you had an interesting... Finance-related <laughs> ones as well. You had the type of resume, resume, it sounds like, where they would pick it up and they're like, I want to talk to this guy because he's interesting. Because you're abroad, you're everywhere. You're Like you said, you had, you know, those different internships. It's, it kind of... Did you feel like you were running a risk because you might be thought of as scattered or do you feel like it didn't really matter because it was undergrad? Like you had that... No, program. I think I, I, I did it. By design, I wanted to try as many different internships as I could to see what do I, what did I like, what did I not like, and that was actually very, very useful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd done some financial planning, done some uh, sort of consulting, whole slew of different roles, and it, I think it really helped me pinpoint. Um, you know, the the investing space, the trading S and T world was was one that I wanted to you know at least try and break into. Mm-hmm. Um, admittedly, it was easier said than done in the 20, 2010 time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, hard work and sort of well-roundedness and just the power of things like WSO and LinkedIn and reaching out to folks, you know, completely cold and saying, I'd love to learn more about your background. Is that how um, you... I don't think that can be understated. Is that how you ended up getting that first job at undergrad? Like just, you know... No, cold. honestly, I just yeah. picked a lot of people's brains and tried to, you know, find out what, what good books to, to read and different um, resources that were out there. And just, you know, these are some relationships that I've just kept as sort of friendlies in the networking side. I think networking is extraordinarily valuable, obviously, at the end of the day, and building that Rolodex is also something that but is there like you know, one, continue is, to do in your business. Is there like one specific relationship that you felt like ended up kind of turning the corner? Was the reason you got that job, or was it more just like a group of people that got you in the door and then you interviewed well? Honestly, no. I think it was just, you know, the resume... Yeah. Uh, resonating with the with the hiring manager at the time who was on campus and okay. you know going through various rounds and just uh, building building the case for your for your value and and that was really it there was no um, you know after admittedly none of the you know sort of linkedin messaging and, and networking didn't necessarily lead to this job it was purely um sort of anecdotal just picking folks's brain a lot of folks in the industry and, and sort of competitors at, at different companies and learning do you feel like that made you look like? Did you feel like that made you smarter in the interviews, or that helped at least for that for that portion? I do think so. I do think so. Just getting a more realistic picture. You know, you can be kind of green uh, mm-hmm. in undergrad and, and not necessarily know. You know, it looks like the industry is X, but really it's more like Y. And then kind of 
getting a more realistic picture of what you're getting yourself into and how to best prep for it. For sure. So you get I the think job. That was probably the main value there. You get the job. It's a really tough economy. Amazing. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. You even got a job, um, and then especially <laughs> in this sector. And so you get it on the trading desk, and you're saying, "Okay, we're we're valuing commodities. How do you even begin to know how to do that? Is there training? Is there um, what's the? I guess you know you were there for almost three, uh, two and a half years or so. How long do you feel like it took you to kind of ramp up? And what were you doing at the beginning versus what you were doing at the end? Could you give a little perspective on that? Sure, I can give you a quick anecdote. I, mm-hmm. uh, I my first week with the commodities business unit, our, our MD was set. Uh, we did weekly weekly team meetings where we kind of rotated, and I was up the four days on the job and said, "All right, well, teach us about gas basis markets in the Northeast." I knew nothing about commodities, um, but you know, sink or swim moment, and you you don't want to sink, so <laughs> you, you do what you got to do. Uh, Did you, you know that was coming? Did you know that was coming? <laughs> I'm sorry. You knew that was coming, I assume, before they just put you on the spot. But... Uh, I found I found it out on day one, and three days later had to do it. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow. Okay, sink uh, or swim. You just got to be a sponge. Honestly, one of the, the biggest pieces of advice I'd give people is to be a sponge, ask a lot of questions, especially early on. No one's going to look at you and say, that's a dumb question. Right. Um, you know, 10 years into your career, maybe. But at that point, just ask as many questions. Ask what are good books to read? What are the best resources out there? And, you know, take initiative. Nothing's going to just fall in your lap. And uh, that's another one. I'm sure everyone in your community is driven and motivated and wants to succeed. But, you know, hard work, uh it, it, it's palatable. You can find it uh, all over the place. But somebody who really kind of lives and breathes it on the job, it's it's can you really, give me, um, can you give me a way to differentiate yourself at the end you, of the day? Can you give me a little sense of like what you actually did day to day? Like what was the bulk of your work? Because I don't, you know, I I was never in on the sales and trading desk. I definitely know very little about commodities. So, is it more looking sure. at various markets and data coming in and looking at? I mean, who knows? I, I'll I'll stop and let you explain because for me, it's totally archaic. Sure. So I was focused mostly on on broad-based commodity valuations across natural gas, power, and coal and emissions desks. Uh, mm-hmm. Start out on coal and emissions. It's a relatively um, pretty simple market at the end of the day, uh, especially back in, in 2010. It's changed a bit since, but mm-hmm. uh, long story. It's basically valuing commodity derivative products that are that are associated with those particular desks. Um, like I said, gas, power, coal and emissions. At that point, mm-hmm. um, you know trying to assess different valuation risks in terms of, you know, option Greeks, different liquidity measures. A lot of these were for pretty strategic deals, structured transactions, um, not necessarily just vanilla contracts. Got it. Um, I'll give you an example. We, um, <clears throat> you know, modeled some, some long dated, uh, physical, physical power deals into the Midwest region. Uh, that was MISO, the MISO power system, uh, worked on some VPPs, which are volumetric production payment agreements. They're basically asset packs, um, volumetric production deals mm-hmm. so essentially instead of getting you know paid in cash you receive the physical collateral so the physical gas let's say got it um develop some different valuation methodologies for you know understanding carbon legislation risk at the time you know again this was you know nine ten years ago at this point um carbon pricing risk was always uh at the forefront of folks minds europe was way ahead of the u.s at that point so uh, leveraging that um you know, so that that economic variable, and, and when you're dealing with these longer dated, kind of bespoke transactions, um, so a lot of these kind of long dated power deals, um, mm-hmm. which are known as tolling agreements or 
different hedging strategies that were associated with these pretty bespoke deals. Um, I actually had the chance while I was there to to do a little expatriate um, uh, stint over in Budapest, actually, to train and manage a team remotely uh, post that stint. We were expanding the team out there, and you know, a lot of these folks were very, very bright. I'd say mostly quantitative-minded, but understanding and kind of training them on what are the fundamentals of the commodities markets since you know that's where we were um, expanding our focus obviously over there and i assumed to be able to do this work you just have certain data sources that you rely on um that are just kind of pulling in a bunch of stuff is it like has it become much more quantitative nowadays i assume um, than it was back then or is it still i think that's a fair statement yeah there there's still a lot of the major players who were around back then and pretty well established but there are you know some new kids on the block like a uh you know one of the reasons i joined ursa in particular actually um sort of saw where the future of the industry is going in mm-hmm. my opinion and that is more data focused more quant focused right um and anybody everybody's fighting for margin at the end of the day margins are tight now especially currently versus back then and you know, at the end of the day, the more data you have, the more um, of an intelligence advantage or information advantage you have. And, uh, you know, doing some of these more satellite radar analytics that we're focused on is, is, is one way that folks are getting that advantage now. So mm-hmm. helping to build that out for, for oil and gas markets and expanding into sort of the financial hedge fund community as well um, is one of the things that, that I was drawn towards and kind of building out where the where I see the future of the industry going. Cool. And so digitizing of commodities trading a bit. It makes sense totally. And so you're you're at this bulge bracket. You're there for a few years. You know, day four, you're thrown to the wolves. You you managed to you managed to swim, and then um, it sounds like you learned probably a ton um, in those in those two two plus years. Um, what kind of made you think it's time to move on, or what kind of prompted that next jump to um, a trading desk at another firm? Yeah, at that point, I mean, again, taking a look back, this was post recession. It was it was pretty obvious that. You know, Dodd Frank in particular was going to be limiting some of the commodities trading um, divisions mm-hmm. scope going forward, and you know a lot of us saw the writing on the wall. So uh, myself and you know our, a lot of folks from my team actually moved on to a fit large physical trading shop mm-hmm. um, that wasn't necessarily going to be you know impacted by that type of regulation. Um, so again, this is this is a move right around. Uh, two, three years after 2010, so 2012, 2014 time, timeline, yep. uh, moved to basically one of the one of the top uh, largest global physical trading shops around and joined a prop desk there um, to move from sort of more the valuation side for these kind of hedging strategies and more kind of bespoke structured deals to more doing uh, essentially management of a multi-million dollar portfolio of different um, different commodities. And this was more focused on natural gas liquids, NGLs, uh, like propane, butane, isobutane, NAFTA. And it was their own, it was their own cap- type of product. It was their own capital, right? So it's a prop desk, so you're actually putting capital at risk Correct. versus, you know, taking, Correct. Yep. versus providing products. And this was more, this was more physically inclined. So again, mm-hmm. You could probably gather from what I mentioned earlier about the internships and the double major and all that. I wanted to sort of build my my career in terms of well-roundedness and see a lot of different markets. So, um, you, sure. you know, my first job out of undergrad, going focused on gas, natural gas, power, coal, and emissions. Then I wanted to move into more of the oil-focused commodities. So again, NGLs, gasoline. Did a lot of um, physical blending strategies for gasoline. So internally, you know, helping our uh, NAFTA is a, a 
pretty key, and actin butane in particular, are pretty key components to gasoline blending. So working with our gasoline desk on physical strategies there, as well as more just, you know, outright uh, crude oil. So doing a lot of market research and sort of forward analysis on you know, what are the basic economic fundamentals, commodity fundamentals, where are the market trends, uh, you know, developed some different um, crack spread strategies, which are basically uh, – Without getting too detailed, you know, propane versus WTI, WTI being the North American crude oil benchmark, uh, mm -hmm. Brent being the international branch, benchmark. Mm -hmm. um, this was a time when, uh, you know, doing any sort of fundamental analysis on, on supply and demand was pretty obvious there was going to be an imbalance due to weather for, weather forecasts and um, similar, similar strategies that you could look at seasonality of different um, – you know, butane products in particular due to regulatory seasonality, et cetera. So a lot of different interesting market dynamics going on at the time. Uh, this is when shale was really ramping up and, you know, looking into uh, a lot of fundamental research that led to the conclusion that we should be building out a pet chem desk, uh, helped build out a pet chem desk down in Houston, uh, given how kind of viable and, and lucrative expanding the, the firm's footprint into that market would be, given where margins were and, and just simply... Uh, Sort of the relative market dynamics at that point. I'm curious of your role specifically at, at you know, when you're brought in, you have only about two and a half years of experience at an undergrad. How much of these initiatives are driven by like a head <clears throat> PM versus do they expect you to kind of be coming up with these strategies and doing the research, you know, the proprietary research on your own for these ideas of, hey, I'm going to, you know, look at the, look at this crack spread strategy. You know, is it something you're coming up with your own? Is it something people are telling you, directing you to research and look into more or what's or is it just obvious for someone in your market so this was a relatively small desk mm -hmm. um, there's head of, the, head of the desk and myself uh, there were other desks that were a bit larger um, some were not prop let's say so at the end of the day you need to be constantly glued into what's going on in the markets and thinking creatively uh, taking a deep dive into this particular market i had not a whole lot of experience in, in NGLs in particular. It's a relatively niche market, mm -hmm. even within commodities and energy in particular. Um, so again, getting up to speed on those markets, doing uh, your own independent research, but also picking the brains of you know the seasoned vets around you at the same time helps kind of connect the dots. Getting access to you know different data sets and just you know trusting in your own intuition of where you see the market trends going, both from a fundamental. I personally do a little bit of technical. I don't rely much on it, but yep. uh, I'd imagine some folks who, who are listening are probably more technically inclined than others. Commodities in general, at the end of the day, kind of rely on fundamentals. Um, at the, it's just the main driver of how these markets move. Even if there's so a, that's yeah, generally yeah. how I would focus my my yeah, that's how I focus my research in particular. So when you look at like temporary price, like. Uh, mispricing you just look at that and say okay well the supply demand uh, you know economics here don't make sense it's gonna it's gonna you know, the prices has to move in this direction eventually kind of thing like relative value or is it should I, am i thinking of it the wrong way is it like that's that? that's one way to think of it i mean there's a lot of moving parts to it yeah um depending it's, it's different by every market you're dealing with there's a whole slew when you're talking about commodities mm -hmm. different key kind of physical attributes that you're talking about i mean um Delivery costs, transportation is a big factor to consider. It can completely blow up the econs of your trade. Um, relationships with folks on the, the shipping side, for example, you know, those are always helpful. Mm -hmm. But understanding the physical characteristics, whether it's you know for crude, a heavy sour or light sweet, does that make it more or less valuable, et cetera. 
what does the forward curve look like, prompts, different, it's all relative spread yep. at the end of the day. A lot Got of it. times headlines, you'll see headlines of, you know, WTIs at $55 today. Uh, but at the end of the day, when traders are thinking about these things, it's all about relative value and, and relativity in terms of spreads. Makes sense. And, you know, quality, uh, location, time in terms of storage, all of that has to be taken into account when you're dealing with physical markets. So, you know, you're on a really small team. It's just you and you're the, the head of the desk right there working on this specific, you know, these specific products. Is it something where <clears throat> you're working super long hours because of that and there's a lot of pressure on you? Or did you feel like it was something that you were given, you know, several weeks to kind of come up with something and, and kind of come back to him? Or was it like super high, high pressure and long hours? Uh, well, the head of our head of the desk was a former Marine sergeant in <laughs> Afghanistan. So he was a like I go back to my comment about psychology, you know, being able to understand people's motivations. And, uh, you know, like most of Wall Street, there are some egos to deal with. But, you know, we got along very well and learned a ton from him. Um, it was obviously high high pressure situations you're in. Um, it wasn't just necessarily a team of the two of us. We did have folks who did physical operations and risk and, you know, the accounting, et cetera. So there's a lot of support in sort of IT as well that goes into kind of managing a desk. The, the physical operators uh, and the folks in risk also are, are, are key elements to all this. So Are you doing like uh, 60 hours a week, you'd say? Something like that, 70? Probably closer to 70, 75, something 70. along those lines. Yeah, okay. Well, you're a couple of years out of school, and <clears throat> was the, the head of the guy you're working close to, the, that guy, is he doing similar hours at that point? And is that something like you considered staying on to eventually have your own, run your own? desk or is it something that that would have taken like 10 years or five years that probably would have taken a, a lot longer honestly mm-hmm. um you know you sort of have to build your own business and uh, from the ground up and building those relationships i was relatively you know green in the in the ngl market at that point obviously yeah um for me i again continuing that that trend of wanting to continue the well-roundedness i so up to this point had done you know gas and power coal and now done some of the crude on the NGL gasoline and, and crude markets, but I, that was more sort of physically inclined. Mm-hmm. My next move was to a, a pretty large uh, investment management firm, <clears throat> like I mentioned earlier, that was building out their um, alternative investment business. So I was essentially a, a junior portfolio manager for uh, multi-asset alternative investment funds, um, helping to manage about 40 billion in AUM for some of these uh, hybrid portfolios. The, there was everything from you know, equities, commodities, real estate, FX, um, EM exposures, a uh, whole slew of strategies, factor funds, which uh, I'd imagine a lot of folks are um, pretty familiar with in the audit, in the, what the did, podcast. What but did you What did you like at best the end of the day? Wanted about to, that. What did you like? I, best I wanted to more again, kind of keep that well-roundedness and kind of complement my physical background with more of the financial right. sort of energy derivative side of the business as well. That's fair. And so, what did you like most about that specific position when you jumped to the multi-asset? Um, alternative investment. I enjoyed, I mean, definitely worked with some very, very intelligent individuals coming from a very different perspective. So Mm -hmm. I had gone from being, you know, surrounded by folks who were deep dive um, experts in their particular markets. Some focused on one commodity market, some were kind of broad around various commodity markets. But we all sort of lived and breathed commodities. Moving to the investment management space, you know, most folks had, you know, CFAs, understood sort of equity valuation, et cetera, relative value in that sense. Um, but sort of being the only quote unquote commodities guy, 
uh, was definitely kind of a learning curve. But for me, I wanted, I, I enjoyed learning and broadening my experience to, you know, be more financially inclined in that sense. So it was kind of a nice compliment where I was sort of the, the commodities alternatives guy, if you will, mm-hmm. and, and kind of bouncing ideas off folks who are coming from a different perspective from, there. From currency or real estate or emerging market or some other. Um, exactly. America. Yeah. And then so specifically, <clears throat> you know, you were at the, the the gasoline trading desk for a little over a year as well. Was there something that prompted kind of that next jump? Again, it was just like you said, you wanted to continue broadening your, your background and getting that. Um, that experience was it just that just a searching for to learn more to continue learning yeah I, I kind of felt like early in my career i wanted again sort of soak up going back to the analogy of just being a sponge and soaking up as much as i could and building out that well-roundedness yep and didn't necessarily want to be sort of one market focused because i think at the end of the day early on in your career i think you can actually build a competitive advantage for your own sort of career path by being well-rounded in that sense especially with commodities it's very easy to just be sort of the, the oil person or the power person, and that right. that's the only market you ever really see. But at least the way that I see the markets, being able to see across, it's, it's all a domino effect. Nothing can be looked at in sort of isolation these days, especially after the shale revolution. Mm-hmm. So understanding kind of that domino effect and how they're all sort of interconnected, in my opinion, made me a more valuable um, you know asset on the team as opposed to just understanding how, let's say, power worked. And do you feel like that so played out? That, very, that, did that play there, out? There are the, so many nuances yeah. to each one of these markets and they're very complex in the way that they're interconnected. But yeah. you know, obviously you can build a very successful career mm-hmm. in just one niche market. But in my, at least from my perspective, I wanted to be more well-rounded in that sense and understanding how they're, they're all kind of connected in that sense. Okay, so you made that jump to the multi-asset um, alternative investment manager, you know, as a, PM, as a junior PM, you said. And you're running that, and then kind of what was what was next before you kind of jumped to Ursa um, as your final as your final step? Sure. So I, you know, on and off in my career, I'd, I'd met some folks who have um, gone through the professional certification route. Um, there was one company in particular that was building out a certification for folks in the energy markets to basically be sort of like the the CFA for energy, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was relatively young. <clears throat> and they had never actually had anybody from industry help create it. Um, so I, I was approached, and I, I thought it would actually be a pretty unique way to sort of um, not necessarily give back, but kind of leverage my well-roundedness that I had been building up at that point from yep. both a physical and financial market perspective and also cross-energy commodity market perspective uh, to kind of help uh, you know help curate what the content should be, what do folks who hit the industry need to know, you know, you hear in the news all of these desks that blow up and, you know, you think, well, if you can, you know, give back and sort of help avoid those type of situations in the future and get more folks um, to understand sort of all this domino effect and all that kind of cross interconnectedness, maybe there can be less of these type of uh, occurrences in the future. Mm-hmm. So that's really why, why I joined. I, there was a unique opportunity to basically, um, you know, head up their sort of global energy strategy and, and grow the business from a sort of strategic uh, business development perspective. And a lot of folks in the industry, energy is notorious for being opaque at the end of the day. So I, I thought it would be a nice way to sort of um, get folks up to speed quickly, especially, you know, I, I do quite a bit of mentoring for, for alumni at my university. And a lot of folks ask, you know, how did you break into this industry? Honestly, it was really just hard work, um, and, and I suppose being lucky at the time. Uh, but you know, 
it's, it's a relatively small industry and it, it comes down to what do you know about the markets and a lot of times just to even get your yourself in the door for that interview you need to sort of sort of prove yourself saying I, I know commodity markets or knew something at least about it so this was a one way for folks to kind of take the certification even if they had no energy experience maybe they wanted to pivot away from you know, one market that they were focused on and get into this sector so folks across like integrated oil and gas majors or power utilities or, or banks, hedge funds, private equity folks, uh, or consultants who kind of had their one one market perspective or maybe had right. experience in, in gas and really wanted to learn power or oil markets a bit more. So I, I thought it was a unique way to kind of get folks a practical way of getting up to speed quickly on these particular markets. And, and I enjoyed can we, know, share, can we the, share what that certific- can we share what that certification is or do you prefer not to? Sure. It, yes. it, it's it's called the ERP. It's the Energy Risk Professional. It's by the uh, the Global Association Global Association of Risk Professionals, known yeah. as GARP. Okay. Um, so it's been around for about uh, probably about seven eight years at this point, and, and grown quite nicely across the industry in terms of reputation and, and folks from all different sectors getting involved in it. I, I would highly recommend you know folks listening to take a look into it if this is an industry you want to break into. Um, it can be much easier said than done. And, and this is one way to, to kind of prove yourself if you're going into an interview and say, I've, I've already passed the ERP. I understand sort of practitioner-focused macroeconomic trends for energy across physical financial markets and, you know, understand how to, to manage risk and not, you know, blow up a desk, let's say. So <laughs> yeah, kind of a, it's kind of a nice way to show you you have the cri- those kind of critical competencies to, to really evaluate those either commercial decisions if you're going to be on a commercial desk or... Uh, you know, risk management from from various perspectives. Yeah, at least you're putting in the effort. You're learning from somewhere. Um, you know, that's exactly that, goes, that says a lot too. And one so. of the nice one of the nice points is they change the curriculum every year. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, there's, there's some certifications that are you know, relatively um, uh, static, kind yeah. of stagnant, and they, they you know, uh, some of the techniques don't necessarily need to be changed year over year. But commodity markets, energy markets in particular, are so rapidly moving. Um, that it's nice to see that they keep up with the times and get folks um, confident in what's what's coming ahead, at least. That's great. Uh, another question: Do you mind sharing from when you graduated till up through now? Do you mind sharing like ranges of pay that you had in terms of? Doesn't have to tell us exactly, but approximately to give the listeners some sort of sense of what they could expect as like an assistant portfolio manager and stuff like that, all the way up through. Or is it something you prefer? Sure. Okay, go ahead. Sure. I mean, it, it depends on each, obviously it depends on a lot of different factors, uh, depends on the uh, type of institution that you're with. But um, I would say, you know, out of university, it's not uh, not unreasonable to expect sort of the 70 to 80 range for base plus, you know, percent for performance. Um, mm-hmm. In the, you know, physical trading world, a lot of it is sort of percent of book based. So I wouldn't, um, you know, Base is uh, probably around low hundreds, I'd say, but you can get sort of upwards of 20% of percent of book, um, which can be quite significant depending on obviously performance, sort of eat what you kill mentality, if you will. So you can get up to 20% um, of the, book on on. So what would that <clears throat> what would that translate to? Like 50,000, 200,000, 500,000? Like could it be that high? If it, if you I mean, that's, did really that's well? where that's where you can get you know. Yeah million dollar bonuses if you will depending right. on how successful you know you were that year perhaps got it so it could be either uh, a it, zero it, really it could be a range of performance it at could, that point it could be a zero or it could be super high if the, if the desk does really well 
Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And what do you think? Like, uh, is the standard for that? investment side, it's a little bit different. You don't you don't necessarily have that upside, uh, but your know, base is generally a little bit more stable in that sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At the desk, real quick, what do you think is like typical for a desk? Is it does it come out to be like I know I know it's much higher variance than compared to like an investment banking um, position in terms of like what bonus could be, but would you say the average or the median is closer to like? A hundred bonus or fifty bonus um, on that hundred base or low hundreds. Honestly, there is. It's like so. There is such a wide spectrum. It depends on. I mean, what desk you're at. If so. you're relatively junior, it can be different depending on how much uh, book size you're you're allotted. It could be Got significantly higher if you're far okay. more seasoned and you're that's fair. Have free reign. So there's really no uh, no precise way to answer that, unfortunately. Okay. Maybe we can check the uh, company database, see if there's any good salary data on those types of drafts. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, um, okay, great. And then anything else? So yeah, what's next for you? You, you want to talk a little bit about uh, what you're up to now and then kind of what, what your next plan is? Or you Sure. Know. So again, kind of kind of going along the lines of the, that well-roundedness, if you will, that's, that's kind of how we wanted to structure things. So up to this point, seeing a bunch of different physical and financial energy markets um, and like I mentioned earlier, I highly, I, I can't say enough about the power of networking. You absolutely need to be out there and just make connections in the industry. I was actually at a happy hour event a couple of years back and, um, you know, met the co-founder of the, the current company I'm with and, you know, we kept in touch and the rest is history when, when looking to, uh, you know, expand their, their knowledge base in these physical and financial markets. Um, you know, we, we got in touch again and, and the rest is history. So um, person in particular, I, I think, is doing a fantastic job in, in leveraging what's known as synthetic aperture radar. It's a type of satellite radar technology. Uh, when I first met this with this co-founder, who's our chief strategy officer now, mm-hmm. <laughs> my, my job was on the floor and I said, I wish I knew about this technology when I was at Glencore um, mm-hmm. because it's, it, it's extraordinarily valuable in terms of making valuable insights into what's actually happening on a global basis. So I'll give you an example. Uh, there's a quite a few white papers and, and sort of P&L um, structured trades strategies that I've written up on our website, uh, different blog scenarios that connect the dots to what we're seeing in our in our data versus macroeconomics and, and sort of geopolitics. Uh, so I recommend if you if you want to take a look at any of those, it's a good way to kind of see how you can leverage this data for sort of P&L strategies um, what's the website but at the end of the yeah on our on our website it's just um ursaspace.com mm-hmm. so we my my focus in particular is trying to drive our our thought leadership in, in leveraging this new type of technology this sort of geospatial intelligence um to kind of deliver that transparency in these pretty opaque markets like what is if i were to ask you what are oil inventories right now in china you know you'd probably have to rely on you know two-month stale data that the Chinese government is producing. And right. we all know there are, you know, decent-sized uh, geopolitical grains of salt that need to be applied to that. The same can be said with different government data that comes out of the Middle East and OPEC. Uh, so up until this point, traders had to sort of rely on these relatively lagged, um, stale data sets. And, you know, that's not necessarily, that, that may be how the old way of doing things worked, but... Uh, this sort of cutting edge technology is really going to be, in my opinion, changing the name of the game when it comes to commodities trading. So it's all about who has that sort of information advantage. For sure. Uh, so that's no, one area that I'm focused on as well as kind of building out uh, different, 
core competencies to, to again, help out our commodities trading, our hedge fund, and kind of banking um, to a clientele base, understand how can you leverage this for, for P&L purposes, <coughs> excuse me, getting kind of you know, unique analytics on um, sort of macroeconomic trends, different market fundamentals and sort of sentiment indicators, things like that. Um, you know, uh, I'll give you one example. Uh, Venezuela and Iran have been obviously hot button stories throughout the year and, you know, understanding uh, what's actually happening boots on the ground in kind of a, an unbiased way mm-hmm. in real time is, is pretty powerful. Um, same with, you know, the Chinese economy, looking at what uh, what's actually happening boots on the ground there. I'll, I'll leave it. I'll leave it at that in pretty high level terms. But, um, you know, there's there's a lot more. If folks want to take a look at the website that's on there, where we're connecting the dots with all of these kind of moving parts throughout the year, um, every week one of our, one of my colleagues and I publish uh, pretty unique insights. Because again, at the end of the day, we're one of the few one of the few companies that actually has access to this type of technology. It's actually um, an ex-government technology that we're leveraging for commercial purposes. So mm-hmm. we've got a pretty unique background. A lot of the folks in the company are sort of ex-satellites, uh, ex-radar engineers, et cetera, uh, who really can understand how to, how to dissect this data. Uh, there, there are, there's a lot of power in sort of the satellite uh, intelligence these days, and there's some folks who are focused in sort of the optical side, which is um, as if your camera were taking a picture of the Earth. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, you're dealing with cloud coverage sometimes. Uh, I think the stat is actually about two-thirds of the Earth is covered in clouds at any given point of time. That's a lot. And we're leveraging a <laughs> type of radar that actually penetrates through clouds and, and works 24-7. So That's awesome. It's, uh, it sounds when fascinating, you're dealing with man. I mean, it's fascinating. China, for example, it can be pretty difficult dealing with fog and smog and all that kind of cloud coverage issues. So we've found a way to deal with all of that. That's great. Anything else you want to share with the listeners before uh, any words of wisdom that you would have given yourself when you were younger? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> there's tons of resources out there on, online these days if folks are wanting to get into the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, I think the, the ERP program, the Energy Risk Professional Certification, is a really valuable tool that, you know, when I started out didn't really exist, uh, and especially to the capacity it does now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one one pretty quick way to get up to speed in a, a pretty condensed and, and quick fashion and get up to speed in all things commodities, uh, energy commodities at least. For sure. Uh, there's, there's one little tidbit I've, I remember hearing back in the day, you know, you never want to be the smartest guy in the room. Um, I think that, that, that was pretty valuable advice, you know, being part of teams where you, you can rely on, on all these other uh, folks in the room and have that deep dive expertise that you may or may not have and kind of soaking that up, um, I think has been pretty valuable in, in at least my career up to this point. That's great. Well, I think uh, we'll leave it at that. I appreciate you taking the time and Commodity 101. Thanks so much. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.